0: I feel like the uncertainty is one of the toughest parts of being a farmer today because, you know, you're trying to plan, you know, we're we're thinking about the crop that we're going to plant next year, but we're also thinking about generations coming into the business or depending on your financials, how you're going to maintain where you are, let alone try to grow that. Um, What is your biggest challenge when you look forward for your own operation to make it viable for the next generation
1: politics i mean i I can dive into that but i mean really it's politics i think politics or regulation it's one of the two and and regulation is a result of politics but that's that is the we we can figure out how to get this stuff done but not if not if it really doesn't even make sense anymore and i i don't know if you guys ever read atlas shrugged yes I feel I don't know what chapter we're in in Atlas shrugged but I feel like I mean this is that's the world we're living in and where the the disconnect continues or or the gap between reality and what the world is actually like yes is getting just broader and broader and so it just gets I don't know how how hard I mean I'm only I'm only 42 but I sometimes I feel so freaking exhausted I'm just yeah. I'm like, this is not worth it. Like you you get the payroll audit and then you get the OSHA audit and then you do 13 food safety audits. And then you have some troll on the internet tell you that you're a slave driver because you're employing workers from Mexico and you're putting them in free housing. And you just, you're like, this may not be worth it. And I hope when I say this, that the people that are listening to you, that those that aren't farmers understand this. This is, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel, but like I I could either scream or cry sitting here right now because that's how true it is. It is overwhelming. It's already risky. We're already in a super, super volatile business. Mm-hmm. We already work on super thin margins. We always, we all have to borrow a ton of money mm-hmm. and at the same time, you want to make our job harder and harder and harder and then on top of that, you want to tell us that we suck and that we're ruining the environment and that we don't care about our workers and that we don't care about anything. Yeah, it's It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming and I just want to be like, forget yeah, it. You guys figure out how to feed yourselves. I know how to feed myself. right? I know how to live. You guys figure it out. All of the food we eat and much of the clothing we wear comes from plants and animals
2: that are raised on farms. Farms are different in type, in size, and even in name.
0: Welcome to Barn Talk. Today we're gonna do our best not to cry. Um, the guest that we have has many layers, and we're gonna we're gonna peel them back for you. Uh, if donkey was here, he'd say that'll do, that'll do. No more cringy onion jokes. Um, so our guest today is a produce farmer, but he's really become an advocate for just about all aspects of farming here in the United States. He has a huge following on just about all social media platforms, and we are super excited to have him here today.
2: But first, before we get into that, guys, pay the fee. If you get any value from the show, you guys know the the ticket to admission to watch or listen to the show is paying the fee. Share it out with your friends, family, coworkers employees, whoever, we're trying to do some good in this world, grow this thing, and we don't run ads to promote the show. It's just all through you guys through organic growth. So we really appreciate everybody that does that. Also leave us a review on Spotify and Apple, and we see everybody that's been doing that. helps us out a lot too. So we really appreciate all you guys, and let's get into the show.
0: Welcome to Barn Talk, Shay Myers. It is a pleasure to have you.
2: Not a desert here,
1: and farmland like I can't even imagine. I mean, as far as no pivots, no irrigation, you live in a special place. So a
0: good place to start is tell us a little bit about you and your business, and we'll go down that route. How you grew up, all that stuff. Just give a little background. uh,
1: I live uh, in a small town called Nissa, Oregon. That's where the farming operation started with my grandfather. Uh, He, uh, after the Korean War, um, he came back and uh, got some GI Bill money. Started actually with chickens. Which was a complete disaster for him, um, but by the it, it, and it took him another twenty years to where he was able to get on his own, and he started farming on his own in the in the late nineteen seventies. And the farm is on my mom's side of the family, so I work. There's eight, if I count this right, I think there's eight different families now. I've got I've got my grandmother who's still actively involved at ninety years old in our farming operation, um, and who has been an integral part of obviously as a partner with my grandfather from the beginning. Um, I've got my uncle Craig uh, my mom and then there's myself a cousin chase two uh, cousins-in-law and a brother-in-law Wow so there's there's eight separate families and we have more that just came back I have Madison that just came back to in a sales position and my little sister working her way back so you could say there's even 10 family members, right? Separate, potentially separate families that are part of our operation. We're a vertically integrated farming operation. We do everything from asparagus to watermelon. Works out nice. I need a Z and we need to do zucchini or something. So I can go <laughs> A to Z. Uh, eight or nine crops typically in our rotation. Uh, we farm 4,000 acres and our, the really the core of what we grow, like the, most of our gross income comes from onions, probably 75 to 85%, depending on the year. Is, is based on, you know, onion production. We farm about 1,200 acres of onions. We, we market as part of our, our operation and that vertical integration. So we grow onions, we pack onions, we process onions, and we market onions. So we market onions our own, obviously, and then for other farmers in uh, multiple locations throughout the country. And so uh, we end up marketing about 2,000 acres worth of onions, somewhere in the realm of 2 million, 2.2 2 million bags or something a year. Wow, wow. It's awesome. Um, but
0: we we've we're, we work together as best we can. You, there's only two of you, right? Mm-hmm. I just was sitting here thinking, okay, do you have a do you have a? Some people would want to have a lawyer on retainer with that much family. Do you have like a a counselor on retainer? We, we should have. <laughs> um, we should have. Need a mediator to sit at it's the really table. It's really hard.
1: It's different. Everyone has different ways that they approach things. Yep. I think generation one, and, and I'm almost generation two because I'm the oldest by like. decade or even a decade and a half, 15 years between me and the youngest. And you can definitely see the generational shifts in mindset and just the way that we approach things. So it has made it, um, certain assumptions that you make based on the way you grow up or your understanding, you see that they're incorrect, right? As reality starts to actually, you know, form in front of you.
2: So before we get in any further, I just wanted to say, where can people find you on social? All your, all yeah, your, yeah, you, you can find
1: me all over. Probably, uh, the, the most obvious one is TikTok, um, Shay at Shay Farm Kid. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, that's Shay F Myers and he Produce there. And uh, Instagram is the same handle, Shay Farm Kid.
2: Um, tell us a little bit about, I saw one of your TikToks and it said, you know, you, you, you said you, when you were growing up, that you didn't really want to be a farmer. What changed your mind on that? You said it was legacy, but like, what were you going to do? And then how did you transition to become what you are today?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and and I don't know that it's that good of a story. But the only reason I didn't want to be... Okay, so first of all, farming is a really, really special industry. It's a really special thing to work in. It's really something that I feel like we we should and can be proud of. And I grew up with that mentality. Like I loved going about my life and being part of the farming operation where I struggled was, is in communicating to people, which is kind of what's led to my social media channels, communicating to people what farming really is instead of what they think it is. You know, the, 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 the big barn with three cows in front and the chickens run in the yard, pitch fork. the pitchfork and the overalls and you know, the straw uh, in, in your mouth. I mean, that's really what people picture when they picture agriculture. And so I struggled with, with that, probably the fact that I didn't want to be thought of as that type of person. Um, I also mechanically, you don't want me to fix anything. So if you make me be an operator and not, and I mean an equipment operator or a farm manager, I'm not going to be very happy. So I I knew that I couldn't do that. And that's another reason I didn't want to be a farmer. Um, But when it came to the legacy, my grandfather had always, like his goal, like his BHAG, right? His big, hairy, audacious goal for himself was to have multiple generations back on the farm. And I, I was getting to a point where I was the first, not the oldest in the third generation, but pretty close. The first one that really had a chance to come back. And... I could either be a pilot, commercial pilot, which I'm I'm fortunate to be able to fly. I still get to fly the airplane around and go visit customers and do that kind of thing. But I I wanted to be a commercial pilot. But at that point in time, it wasn't like today at all. In fact, it was the exact opposite. You, you had to plan on making 19 or 20 grand for the first five to six, seven years. Wow. And you were going to have a quarter million dollars in debt paying, paying for your training. So it just didn't make any sense. I'm like, I've just got to figure out how to make enough and be successful enough so that I can fly an airplane. As, as a hobby or as part of my business yep. and not be a pilot. Cause it just didn't make sense. So that, that was, you know, what, what kind of prevented me from going, being a pilot. And then my, that, that effort that my grandfather had made and that dream that he had, I'm like, you know, I, I've, I've got a chance where I can contribute. Like, I don't have to go back and drive a tractor. Yep. I don't have to go back and manage a farm specifically. I can come back and run this as a business. I've always loved looking at businesses from an entrepreneurial standpoint and looking at, okay, what can I do that will help us stand out, that'll help us grow, that will help us, um, or that would help us be successful yep. from a business standpoint. And that was lacking in the aspect that, not that my grandfather wasn't a good businessman, not that my uncle wasn't a good businessman, not even my mom was running our asparagus operations at that point, not that she was she was bad either, but they were dedicated. Their time was Farming. was farming. That's mm-hmm. what they had to do. Yeah. And by allowing me to come back and my family taking a significant risk on allowing me to to take some of these vertical uh, integrations and with the, with the onion um, packing facility, I was able to kind of put in practice some of the things that they weren't able to because they gave me the time and allowed me to make the mistakes. And that's where I ended up where I am.
0: Yeah. So would you say like that generation they viewed what you did, like truly viewed that farming. You raised a commodity and you looked at it. I feel like a lot of that generation didn't realize that there was a way that you could set yourself aside and we got into like brand. You could become a brand. And that's kind of, our industry is the same way in that a lot of people, I think we're just getting started of people realizing that yes, we all make a product and that product's very similar, but how you do it and how you market it and the way you do things, there's value there if you can show it to people. And what did they think? Like, were they, obviously they must've been receptive to that, that idea. How, how did that all transition? Yeah. yeah. So we,
1: we, okay. So typically what happens in our area, what you did um, two decades ago is you would, grow an onion crop. So you could kind of think of it like a, even a corner, a soy crop, and you're going to deliver it to, uh, you know, the, to be put away and, and dried and sent off or whatever, or, or to somebody who's going to buy it for feed. You, you grew the onion as a commodity. You delivered it, delivered those onions to a custom packer and a custom packer would pack them and market them for you. And it wasn't so much that, well and, and first of all I guess it's important to qualify that even those that were selling were selling it as a commodity 20 30 years ago you even as a as a packer you would receive those onions in. so you the onion that the farmer would would deliver the onions to you put them in a bag and then you put them on a rail car and then you'd send them to what are called terminal markets New York has a terminal market um, uh, Boston has a terminal market LA like all the major cities would have what is considered a terminal market and basically it's a place where you would deliver the produce and then there would be smaller produce uh, distributors in those areas that would take uh, offload those cars and market for you. And so you still didn't even know what the price was going to be. But as technology has improved and the ability to pick up the phone and talk to someone, I mean, it started really with fax machines, but there you, you now I can, even when I started you to send a digital picture 18, 20 years ago was a pretty yep. significant undertaking. It people was. don't realize. And now you just take a picture and you send it to somebody so they can see what they're buying. But there, you had to deliver the commodity somewhere and boom, that was it. And yes, they they saw the vision of taking it one step further from the field to the packing shed. I don't think any of us realized what we could do from a branding standpoint until seven or eight or nine years ago. And what we were like, we got to figure out how to carve some space where we stand out, where we talk about what's different about what we do. And a lot of the times it's not that it's different. It's just that we're just talking about what we actually
2: do and the other people just do what they do and they don't tell anyone. So is that the driving force to why you got on social media? I know you touched earlier that it was to portray that we aren't these, you know, dumb farmers with hay in our mouth sitting in the field with pitchfork, but is it also to get your brand out there and show who you are behind the farm behind your brand? Sure. It's, it's definitely both. I think, so when I first started,
1: I started on LinkedIn. And I still have a decent following on LinkedIn. And that's probably one of my favorite channels. For anybody that's not on LinkedIn, the quality of interaction and the commentary and the networking that's available on LinkedIn, plug for them because it's it's a great channel. It's I That's probably my favorite place to go read comments and to actually communicate with people. But I started there, but I started with the minutia. Like I thought people, what they needed, to, I wanted to be, so Grant Cardone, like if you go back to, I'm trying to think of what one of his earlier books was, but he wanted you to be like, the expert, right? That's he wanted you to be the expert of your industry. And that's the way that I went about it. And I was the onion expert. In fact, if you go back and follow some of my stuff, you'll, you'll find that I was going to be the onion expert. Oh. But I was doing the minutiae. I was like, okay, well, this is how many layers an onion has. And this is the type of internal decay to watch for. And this is how you extend your shelf life. And all of these things that would matter to an onion buyer. But not to anyone else. Not to anybody seeing an onion. Not to anybody seeing an onion. And, and what, what as it turns out, not even to a lot of the onion buyers because they didn't know anything. Mm. And that's, I mean, I, I tell the story of the onion tree, right? I mean, that's a real conversation that I had over dinner in Phoenix, Arizona uh, 10, 12 years ago. And I was talking to an onion buyer about onions and flipping through and showing him pictures of the process. And he's like, well, what's the tree look like that the onion's growing? <laughs> And that was the moment where I'm like, whoa, We've I got to dumb this stuff down. Like, I've got to get, I, I'm, I'm trying to talk at three inches and I need to get to 30,000 feet. <laughs> yeah. I got to get way higher. Yeah. And that was really a significant transformation in the way that we, that our brand changed and developed because we were, I mean, not that I wouldn't talk about specifics, but way fewer specifics yeah. than what I started with.
0: You had an idea of what you just assumed that everybody knew. Exactly. You realize that, nope, there's a lot that nobody knows that I need to back
1: up, right? I Which like, I think is a, a problem we have in agriculture in general. Like, we assume that the consumer understands so much more about what we do and why we do it and how we do it and the reasoning behind all these things
2: that we're doing, and they really don't. And it's not their fault. We live this every single day. I was going to say, I think it's every advocate out there goes through this stage of starting, and they, they're they're giving out this content that's really in-depth and like, well, not really in-depth. It's not. It's kind of broad and it's like you have been a part of the industry for a while and then people are like, well, what's this mean? And what's this mean? And then what's this mean? And then you're like, oh, man. It's like that progression. It's like, oh, man, we can really talk about anything. Like we can talk about a sorting board because yeah, people don't well, even know what a sorting
0: board is and what's it, what it's used for, you know? I'm sure that you're no different. I, one thing that always, it was an aha moment for us is that, the things that people really latch on are the stuff that we don't spend enough time on because to us it's just so monotonous. It's what we you know the, the little things we do every single day that we don't give a second thought to, people literally are like, you know, why is that that color? or why do you use whatever like a sorting board? Why are your blue why are your gates blue? Yeah. And they don't realize, you know,
2: the pigs like blue gates. They can move better with blue gates. So it's like that kind of stuff is just crazy. But yeah, that's, that's interesting. So when you, you were going through like what, what your, your family was doing and they were, you know, really focused on the farming and they were operators on that side. And what's your current role at the business now? So would you say you're the CEO, you're like the business
1: operator? I'm the the business operator. I'm the CEO of Owyhee Produce. We have a farming operation as well. Um, but they're everything's really connected. When we do our financials, we blend everything together because we don't want to, uh, you know, separate. I mean, especially with all these family members involved, it's really important for us to bring everything together and say, you know, like as a group cohesively, this is what we're earning and this is what our financial return is, so that we don't lose our focus or way. Because at the end, all the
0: pieces matter to get to the end of profitability. Absolutely. So, I mean,
1: there's other pieces that are going to contribute, but if we don't, if we don't have onions at the packing shed. Uh, we don't make any money at the packing shed and we certainly don't have anything to market as a marketing company. So it all it, it all connects.
2: I'd say you'd, you're probably an expert in fam- doing family business. So can you give any tips out there for family businesses and how, when they sit down on that table and they need to talk some shit through, like what tips can you give to... That is loaded. Yeah. That okay. <laughs> what but, tips could you give to family uh, businesses? I mean, I, we're,
1: we're, we're experts at failing. Um, <laughs> however, I can give some really, really important advice that we, generate generation one through three, we all agree with. And that is when you make a decision, first of all, it needs to be written down. Because the way that I remember something versus someone else, and we're talking people that you'll trust your life with, the way that you both remember a conversation from 10 years ago is completely different. Yes. And what your expectations are for Sweat equity, for example, for the younger generations, what your expectations are, and what the the other generations want to give you can be two different things. And and furthermore, what complicates this even more is sometimes if that con- that contribution is too significant and creates too much growth and too much opportunity, then the those that are looking at that contribution feel like they could be giving you too much. Yeah. So you need to define. To the very best of your ability, what you're back for, what your time means, and what that should transfer to in ownership or equity or dollars through that period of time. Because if you don't, what you're what you're expecting as the new guy is not going to be what the 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 older generation is going to give you. Yeah, and or very seldom. Unhappy. I think you. It's different. Father and son is different than right. I'm I'm talking. Yeah. grandmother to grandson or uncle to nephew, mm. right? And now cousins to cousins cousin. or cousins to cousins-in-law. Like you're talking about different dynamics, oh, yeah, totally. different trust levels, different understanding, different work ethics. So that even complicates it more. But I think even in, in every setting, define... And you can do that. You can sit down and just say, this is what we agree on and this is what it should mean. And then it's written down. And at least then, if you go back and you don't agree because something's changed, you have a starting point.
0: This problem is only going to grow because the generations in agriculture, there's so much, there is so much land, so much resources that are all going to have to turn over in the next decade. You're saying based on the age of the average farmer? Yeah. Okay. And... Um, these families it's so hard I mean that's why that's why it's so rare it is so rare to have any business passed down through multiple generations uh, there's an old guy that my dad went to country school with that used to stop by here once in a while and his his sons farmed for him and um, they bought a new tractor one year and uh, they didn't tell him and when he saw him with the new tractor, he raised the rent on all the ground that he had that they were renting. And he told my dad, he's like, takes three generations to make a fortune only one to piss it away, Lawrence. And he goes, Those boys, he goes, if they got enough damn money to buy a new tractor, then they got enough money to pay me a bunch more rent because I'm not I'm not making them a deal just so that they can look cool farming. And it was a big knockdown drag out. And obviously communication in that family was very poor, but that's just an example of to them, it made perfect sense. Meaning the guys that bought the tractor yeah. because they're like, I'm more efficient, X, Y, Z. Like they've, they've got a justification for it. Yep. Yeah. To him, it was just, you're it, trying to look you're cool. You're just wasting money. You've got yep. too much money, so. So with the content, how has that altered
2: your life business? Has it affected you positively? What have you seen as the ROI of doing it all? Yeah, I mean, I wish there was a significant financial ROI. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean,
1: certainly from, if you, if you make the effort, for me, selling the commodity the, or the commodity, the commodities that I do, I've had lots of doors open. It's also helps when you end up at a trade show. There's a lot of people that they recognize you. They're comfortable with you. I mean, we we showed up here uh, 15, 20 minutes ago and yeah. we kind of feel like we know each other. Mm-hmm. You have a, a feeling for people's under their personality and for the way they interact with people and just the type of person that they are. That breaks some huge barriers down. So if you're if you're in a business to business type of uh, B2B type of operation, that's huge. Uh, other ROIs, I just think as an industry, agriculture has to look at every angle that we're getting attacked from nitrogen, carbon emissions, um, water for us in the West water use in the, the West, um, you know, protein, when you're talking about animal production, whether you should even, you know, be consuming, uh, you know, meat products, we're getting attacked from every angle. So I don't know that the ROI is specific to me, but i sure hope that it's uh, it, it's a significant contribution to the industry as a whole. Yeah. I'm not out for this for myself. I mean, i certainly i i want some wins for myself right? And for for my business as anybody would. Right? But i i feel like it's a responsibility and there needs to be more of us speaking up and sharing
2: our story because we're losing. Yeah, we're, our industry, agriculture is losing. Uh, and i would say it's back to the whole advocate thing. I think every advocate at at their core it feels the same way. We got to share our story and it's about sharing the story first versus for personal our, for, for our personal gain. You know, that's second.
0: I think it's curious, um, cause I, I know we feel this way. Like we didn't start, we did not start this with the idea that, oh, we're going to go out and we're going to be, we're going to advocate for the, for the swine industry and for farming. Um, like, I've, I've always I say this often that you know uh, people say you need to start with the why in mind. We totally didn't start with the why in mind or our why was different than where we are today okay but you wake up one day and you realize as you get into it and you realize that exactly what you said that we're getting we're in trouble the ag industry is in trouble and if more of us don't don't speak up, don't show um, it's only gonna get worse and so like, that mission kind of found found us where we didn't go looking for it. right just found us and i think you know
2: you it's kind of a realization you when you start posting you start looking at the comments you start reading this stuff you start reading articles you start just and you're in the community you know you're in the community with all the other advocates and people that are in ag and they start posting these some vegan in their comments or somebody was attacking them for the way that they do stuff on their farm it's just like you just get more and more passionate about it. And it does kind of just find you.
1: Can I speak to that for a second? Like there's something I want to add there. And that's that those of us that are in this and those that might be listening that are thinking about sharing their message. The other thing that we have trouble though, with though in agriculture, and and I'm going to pick a specific channel not to pick on them because the value there is good. But like um, my job depends on ag. I don't know if you've seen that. If you haven't go look that up. It's a Facebook. Uh, I'm sure it's on Instagram as well. Uh, My job depends on ag. And it's, it's San it's the based in the San Joaquin or the central Valley of California. And it's, it's meant to promote agriculture, but what ends up happening is it, cause that channel is meant for farmer to farmer. It's not meant for the consumer, but so often when we create our content, we are trying to justify what we're doing and why we're doing instead of communicating with, you know, a, 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 the intent of creating an understanding like we're talking down to people to put it in simple terms we're talking down to people and and like why don't you understand this right and and not to say like my most recent video is exactly that on TikTok because I was just pissed because it was so straightforward and clear to me and people couldn't understand it and I, and I lost it a little bit but we we need to be more specific and purposeful in the way that we communicate and talk to people and let them converse back with us. So those comments that you get frustrated about, at least people are taking the time. Like a lot of them are genuinely interested about what you're talking about and you're their source of information. But if you make them feel
2: stupid, they're just gonna scroll right past and you're gonna make no impact. No impact. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So what you said you grow onions, watermelons, asparagus. Is there anything else that you guys grow on your farm? Yeah, asparagus, beans, corn, alfalfa,
1: mint. Wow, for, we have a mint distillery, Um, hemp, sugar beets, corn. Did I say that already? Yep. Haven't said onions yet though. And onions then. (laughs) Okay. All right. That's, that's, that's nine, which if you add hemp is nine. So yeah. Oh, and the watermelons, which I didn't throw in there either. So any, in any given year we're growing between seven
2: and nine crops. What is the one crop that you think has the most potential long-term? Like you said hemp and that kind of That makes me kind of curious a little bit. Is there anything there for you? You jumped into the beginning and lost so
1: much money and it was full of so many terrible people in agriculture. That's one, another, you know, plug for us, but people in ag are good people and they're honest and they're straightforward. That doesn't mean they don't lose money. That doesn't mean they don't go out of business, but hemp had so much VC money behind it. When it started, you couldn't see through the facade. So people would show up with all kinds of, Hey, we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to put this equipment in, we're going to extract, you know, the this, this CBD using this process. And when it was done, most of that was fake. Yeah. Like you couldn't, and, and you, you just had no way to know, right? It was a new industry anyway. So it's not like you're going to go see their facility in California because they were just building it. Right. right. Just building right. It. Okay. So, um, but I do, I mean, hemp's got some real viable po- potential utility for all kinds of things and certainly, it was a suppressed in- industry for a long time, for I think plenty of reasons as well. Yep. I I don't know how how big the potential is though, and it's certainly not a CBD. It's more for the fiber. Okay. If you're going to really look at what can be done there, I mean, there, it makes great wood product. It makes good, you know, it gets a good cotton alternative, you know, as far as textiles are concerned. But I don't I don't play in that with that commodity enough to really feel comfortable, you know promoting or pitching it too much we we played in it because we started and now we're just i don't know i want to see we're in that rut yeah. but we started down that path and we're going to hold on for a minute and see if something develops yeah. beyond that um it's really like that's i think the for for the type of agriculture that we do like vegetable and food production for the most part human food consumption that's it, it's really hard to know where to pivot here because as labor increases so we were just looking at our financials. My sister's meeting with a gubernatorial candidate this morning for Oregon, um, and and we looked back at the financials. Our payroll has doubled since 2015. Doubled. That's not that long, nope. okay? And it's not sustainable, and that's the scary part. So what do we do? Onions? It's almost completely automated. We we can keep playing in the onion game. Asparagus, uh, twenty six thousand acres were grown in California just fifteen years ago. They're down to six hundred acres. Wow! They're down to yeah. six hundred acres because they can't afford to pay the labor versus these other nations. Yep. I'll, I'll, uh, we're really in a place where there's this huge threat, and I know this is digressing from the, the core of the conversation, but that's why I can't answer it directly because I, I really, I wish I knew where to pivot. The onions were gonna super hyper focus there because we know we have we've invested a lot in infrastructure and in technology and, and we have know the know-how. Can be competitive. And we know we can stay competitive there. But if you look at watermelon and asparagus, we were doing sweet potatoes. We're out of sweet potatoes for the same thing. We couldn't, from a labor standpoint, we just straight up couldn't keep paying the the labor. Um the the Western U.S. San Joaquin, like we're like a mini San Joaquin or Central Valley of California. We're all going to continue to struggle in in a lot of ways for the next 10 years at least until we see if there's another angle and
0: I don't know what it is. So a better question might be when you look out like today, what's your biggest, what's your biggest challenge and what do you think is going to be for your operation and for, for farmers in your industry? What's going to be that biggest challenge over the next five years. The to biggest years.
1: challenge is going to be straight up consolidation. I think you're, we're going to start seeing between potatoes and onions are kind of comparable, significant amounts of consolidation. People are going to start absorbing people because the only, our margins are really thin and, and thinning obviously. And economies of scale is the only thing that's left. And I think that's scary for the consumer because I think that's where ag in general is headed, yep. but that's absolutely in my area where it's headed where there's there were 300 onion growers um, just probably 10 years ago and that's below 200 today um, packing operations used to you know when, when you talk about packing I'm talking about onion packing um, that continues to consolidate all the time and so there that's that's what we're going to see moving forward is significant consolidation
0: I just was thinking about this you know for for our industry for the swine industry we've we produce a very consistent product very consistently so on the packing side of it on the on the production or on the on the food side of it if you can if you can get employees to do the jobs that you need to do you repeat that every day every hour of every day your industry though is seasonal in the fact that different things are ready to go at different times it's not a constant or it, maybe it is a constant. In other words, is one of the challenge in that, for the as you talk, consolidation in the fact that your labor needs are elastic and it's so hard to have people when you need them, but then you can't have them con- consistently?
1: No, the real problem is, so, so first of all, the labor challenge is, it, it, it's the cost of labor. The availability with, with uh, adapting to H2A, uh, the agricultural visa, guest worker program, has been pretty effective, but, but costly. The biggest problem we have is just overproduction. It's okay. because w- how, how do you, as a, as a farmer and I, it's gotta be similar except for you, you have constraints, I think on the, the, the packing side, mm-hmm. you can't oversupply that by too much or there's nowhere for your product to right. go. When we look at packing and I mean, onion packing, there's way more capacity than there are growers to 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 okay. supply those packers. Wow! So we had a very good year uh, in 2021. Our 2021 season was very good from a pricing standpoint. The crop was a disaster. That's why it was good. Um, traditionally, what you see is then the next year. I mean, the commodities markets. You see the same thing with corn or soy. Then you overproduce, mm-hmm. and that's what interjects this this incredible volatility and makes it hard to to maintain your profitability. But the only way to grow, you know, and improve as a farm yourself is to plant more acres if i've already got a packing facility then i want to grow more acres to run through that packing facility to, to lower my overhead yep. and so it's it's that it's the fact that we probably have in fact that's that's probably the simplest way to look at it. we can pack much much more than we should be growing okay. or more than can, can be soo- consumed in the u.s and it's got a limited shelf life so it has to be marketed in that period mm-hmm. of time uh i mean but you know we're, we're packing 10 months of the year so we're going to put stuff just like you would you know putting weed in a silo or something. I and mean, we're yeah. going to we're gonna store onions for nine or 10 months so we can consistently pull the supply. But there is a, a point in time when that stops and you start, you know, in a new growing area or with a new crop.
2: I was just sitting here thinking, is there regulations? Because there's a lot of these online grocery stores are popping up online and they're shipping produce. They're shipping everything direct to consumer. Has that a thought? Is that thought ever crossed your mind? You have, you know, you have a brand, you're speaking up. You got you got a you got a person behind what you guys are doing as a business. Has that ever came into your mind as you grow this attention? Maybe to do something like that. It has,
1: um, and maybe this is just me making excuses. It seems very difficult to get done independently. I think if you look, I think that the online grocery brands will continue to expand. I think Amazon obviously is a great example of of that starting point. Walmart's really starting to do that too but they already have their networks. They're going to buy through people uh, always this, other people because it has to get consolidated. So I guess what I'm trying to say for me to direct ship onions to you guys, it would cost you too much. I just can't do it. They're too dense and they're too heavy. Now, if you want to buy a bottle of our mint oil or something, then no problem, right? I mean, I can put that in the mail in a regular envelope and get it here for three bucks and then that makes sense. But when it comes to onions, heaven forbid trying to ship a watermelon, right? Right. Um, asparagus, the shelf life. I mean, it, it's hard on yeah. those items to get it done. Now, I think if you look at the guys that are doing it with uh, I see it on the on the beef side guys that are butchering their own uh or getting their own uh cattle butchered and then selling that direct to consumer. Yeah, I think there's places where that makes sense. Although I don't know how much more costly that is than, you know, somebody walking into the grocery store.
2: Yeah, I was just thinking maybe one of these companies could partner with you because you are like if I'm going to buy onions from somebody, I would rather buy onions from you. Cause it's just like you said, when you walked in this barn, it felt like we kind of knew each other. And I mm-hmm. feel like everybody that watches you kind of knows, well, this isn't the onion farmer that I know. This is the face. When I think of onions, this is who I think of. And I think, I think packers in the meat business would be smart to do the same thing. If they saw what we were doing or if, you know, they saw what cattle guys were doing, and had these brands, they should, they should partner with them. Why don't they? Why don't they? Because I, I totally agree. Why don't sit here and ask that question
1: and try and partner with me for the same thing, just to tell the story so that the consumer can actually see the brand uh, or, or the or the farmer that, that's putting those onions in the store. But in, in our industry, we're seeing the opposite, right? They're removing all branding. Like they if you go into not to name the brands, but if you go in a grocery store, they want their store brand on their onions. Mm. They don't want any connection Back to the farmer because that allows them to buy as cheaply as they can that onion as a commodity, and then another of whatever you know their justifications are for it. I feel like there's way more value in in yeah. telling the story, hundred percent, and we need that.
0: But there's there's some. What's the fear? We've talked about this a lot on the on the meat side. Part of it is our industry on the on the processing side. They're getting hit just like we are with, you know, uh, people are worried about the water because it takes an awful lot of water to process meat of any kind. Um, labor issues, um, animal welfare, animal welfare, all of transportation, their carbon footprint, their, their, what score is it? What's yes, yes, G scores, you know. And so many of them have this mentality, they have a mature business. And they've seen a lot over the life cycle of that business, and they literally—I feel like—they just have the mindset that we're just going to keep our head down, don't say anything about anything, like don't don't have an opinion about anything, and try to just weather whatever storm it is, and just keep just keep producing pork chops and getting them. You know, they don't want to. They don't want to do anything different than they've always done. They don't and, want to stir the pot. And I've, that's going to hurt them. That's going to hurt them. They think it's a trend. Yes. 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 Okay. I think, yeah. And
1: I just, I don't think I don't is. think it is. I don't think social media is I mean, on the animal agriculture side, I mean, I think it's an even more important question yeah. than it is on I the think produce production a, side.
0: I think there's a shift and I think it's here to stay and probably is going to become more so. Um, and I think that's going to be a huge problem for them uh the longer they go that they don't um don't address it
2: yeah i agree i i i don't know i, I mean i that's what we skept, we we spec or we um we think about it's what we that's what we sit down and we always ask the question with each other it's like why why doesn't Triumph foods or somebody come to us and say hey you know you guys are doing this it's great but I, yeah i think it's just the head down mentality i think they I mean, just don't realize I would like a pack of bacon with my face on the back of it the- <laughs> Yeah, it's got to be worth twice as much, right? Yeah, yeah. give a little shock value. Um, you talked a little bit about immigration. Uh, do you have any tips for farmers out there that are wanting to do the visa program, bringing immigrants in to, to do work? What's what's some advice you can give to those farmers that are looking to get into that? You'll find some great folks. Um, it looks like it's more expensive,
1: generally from a productivity and a work ethic standpoint. It's a break-even, right? So you're going to get as as you know, you're you might be paying twenty five percent more for for example, where we are in Oregon, our minimum wage presently is twelve dollars and fifty cents an hour. Our H two A, um, because it's based on Awar, um, is seventeen forty one an hour. Plus we have to provide housing and the transportation yep. and they're permitting to get here. Yep. So we're probably $20, 21 bucks an hour by the time we're done it's not any more expensive to bring those guys at those numbers than to pay somebody $12 5 an hour, at least with the current um, environment of those that are working on the farm. And so that's a lot of people look at that and they feel like it's too expensive. It, it's, it's really about the same. Yeah. There's some headaches that are bigger, but there's also some huge advantages to knowing that the guy's going to show up, mm-hmm. you know, their house is just down the road. It's on the farm probably because it's your house and you know, they're going to be there yep. and they're just, a lot of the time, they're they're harder workers and just more consistent.
2: What do you do to keep them happy? Because that's a huge thing. Can't I? If I'm understanding right, what I've looked into is they can, if they're not happy and satisfied, they can go back. They can go back. They can go back. So how do you keep them?
1: Well, it's it's really it's not that hard to keep them happy. First of all, you're I mean everything that you're providing is significant. Um, the financial reward for them, and a lot of people don't know this, even even within the industry. I mean, these guys are making as much as a as a MD in Mexico is making. They're making very, very, very good money. And in two or three years, they can completely change the, the entire trajectory for themselves and their family. And so they want to be here and they want to be able to come back. And so they're motivated to, to do the work that they need to. And I don't, you know, I mean, like, like any worker, you want to have the right conditions for them and the right opportunities But the opportunity for them is the, like, they can't even go get a job and work 40, 50 hours a week if they wanted in their home country a lot of the time. And if they did do that, they would make literally one-tenth to one-twentieth of what they're going to make,
0: you know, on your farm. So that's not a struggle. I think another, in in the swine industry, one of the, the biggest advantages that we've realized is you don't realize how much value there is to... When you when you bring when you bring a person here and you train them for that job and you know that you're going to have them to do that job for a set amount of time, the in the company that that we feed for the amount of time that was spent revolving door hire somebody they're there two weeks and they quit uh, they're there a month and they quit um, it is significant um, to have that consistency to know that you're going to have somebody there doing that job for x period of time and yeah. that all goes into that what that real cost is it's a lot more efficient do you
2: think this is kind of a do you think the government really truly wants to solve immigration or do you think that it's just a talking point for them to run on both it's sides been,
1: yeah both sides. No, no no oh yeah, either way absolutely. this isn't a this isn't a one side is, or a one one party issue this has been kicked down the road by both parties for at least two decades the the Farmworker Modernization Act is back um, on the table, being discussed right now. Explain what that is for the Farmworker Modernization Act is some improvements on the H two A program. So what it's going to do that's important for like the dairy industry is it allows workers to come as part of agriculture for year round businesses like dairy. Dairies operating all the time. Mm-hmm. You guys are operating all the time. It allows you to uh, be an ag worker in those industries because it's within agriculture. Because for some reason. Uh, the H-2A visa is connected with temporary less than nine month needs on a farming operation for people to come. So they want to change that. That's one significant change. The other one is a path to citizenship for uh, those that have been in the United States working in agriculture for a defined period of time. Uh, The initial definition was, was uh, for the last uh, three years as a minimum Uh, they've toyed around with 10. I don't know what the final, you know, uh, Resolution will be, but there is a requirement for you to have been and to continue working in agriculture. And if you do so, uh, you have the ability to, and frankly, the requirement to get a green card so that you pulled into the system legally. And then the, the other piece about it that is the regulatory side is once that's done, because it's, it's a pretty good fit. So you get the ag workers, you get the people that are working in agriculture, which in the dairy industry is 80 to 90 percent, I mm-hmm. think is the number. I don't know if it's 80 yep. or 90, but it's very high. Uh, undocumented workers that are working in, in the dairy industry, that's because they can't get H2A workers. So they they pull those in. But then still 70, 80 percent of ag workers in general uh, and, and, you know, pickers and packers and, you know, people working in the fields, a high, high percentage of them are undocumented. So the idea is, okay, let's let's get them registered and documented in some form. And then the third step, the regulatory side is, okay, now that that's done, now all employer employers are truly required to do an e-verify. So you can't employ someone if they don't have documentation to prove that they're in the country legally and right now there's loopholes galore on any verify you, yep. you 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 know like just you don't have to do it and frankly if we did do it we we wouldn't have food to eat in the country anyway so that's where the you know the the republicans can get on on that side the democrats uh, and a lot of the republicans frankly are 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 excited about the ability to give people that have been here for a lengthy period of time a path to citizenship yes what's mucked everything up politically is the number of people crossing the southern border has just totally messed that up because before, you know, the, the previous two administrations, really even to the second half of the basically for the second half of the Bush administration all the way uh, through Trump, the the numbers of and people crossing were pretty low. Mm-hmm. It was I mean manageable versus what it is today. So then they, they there was there was the ability the willingness to accept this and now that's what's mucked up the waters is this the this, the sheer chaos at the border yeah. presently.
0: It just is, it boggles my mind um, because, and this is personal experience, but the people that are here on uh, ag visas, those are exactly the kind of people that you want to give a path to become a citizen of this country because they're the hardest working, they're here for a reason that's exactly what we want and I just could never understand why the process is not similar because we we had several in in my time um, in my time working for the people we grow for there are so many people that we had that were trying to become citizens mm-hmm. but the amount of money that it takes and the time that it takes um, it's just not it it's it's insanity. It should be much more streamlined. And it's, and and frankly, it's almost impossible
1: for those that have come illegally to get there. There's, there's ways for it to happen, but why, why were they here? I mean, you think about the, the previous administrations on both parties, the border was not as open as it is today, but, but open, right? You could come and we've, we, we need those people. And that's why they're here. As much as, as farmers, we get criticized for hiring them. The reason they're here is because we need them and we the government knows that we need them. Right. So in one way or another, they make it possible to get the people, but then they don't solve the problem. It seems not solving immigration is just a perfect example of how broken our system is. And I don't mean to get all political on your podcast here, but I've yeah. heard you guys get a little political, but it's, it's garbage <laughs> yeah. because it, it, it's, it's something that could be answered and, yeah. and resolved. And it's just proof of like the polarization of politics and and dividing the the dividing when the common ground is like, I mean, yeah. sometimes there's like a razor thin line of of common ground in the middle, right? This thing's like freaking... Yeah, you can have a picnic on yeah, this. Yeah, it's, it's a 10-lane it's a freeway, you know? Like, it's huge, yeah. but we still can't seem to get it done. Yeah. Hopefully, we will. Yeah. Do
2: you think immigration, you know, will help... Do you think it's like the savior to helping this huge labor problem long-term? Or do you think... We're going to have to like, what do you think you, what do you think's is going to be the thing that solves labor? Or do you think it's always going it to be constantly be an issue? It
1: has to be technology because technology. we, we, my, my, another hag right? I like throwing those out there, but one of my, I want to, I want to write a book about what I, what I, my working title is how, what we've are, or, or how we get the opposite of what we vote for. The American consumer continues to want us to pay higher wages. They want us to give better benefits, and I'm in the, one of the best states as an example. Right, we we increase minimum wage um, from nine twenty five to twelve fifty, and then it's attached to cost of living, so it constantly goes up every single year. We have a mandatory um, one week paid time off. We have a mandatory retirement match of three uh, percent, so you have to do a four hundred one k. We have a um, uh, what's the, the new one that we have is a mandatory fa- uh, paid family leave, three months. You have to, to maintain the person's employment. We have all of these things that people are voting for on a federal and a state level. Some states are worse than others. The regulatory pressure that we're getting from every angle is not going to allow farmers to continue to do what they do from a labor standpoint. Technology is the only the only way forward. That or moving your production to another country. And that's happening on a massive level presently. And that's the only two options that I yeah. see for 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 food produ- for vegetable production.
2: How long logistic wise? How long does it take to get a let's say watermelon or onion from your farm to the packer to the grocery store to the actual shelf that people shop on to buy an onion or a watermelon? Like how long does that process take? Yeah. I mean, the
1: planning process is going to start 18 to 24 months in advance. Um, From the time though, that we plant, we'll plant an onion. I'm going to use onions. So I don't, not doing multiple commodities, but we're going to plan the rotation, you know, two years in advance. When we finally do plant that seed, it'll happen in April. That, that onion will get harvested in mid-September on average. And that onion can ship at, in from september all the way through may because we'll take those onions harvest them put them in storage and then pull them out as we need them so um from storage into the packing facility is a day right we'll come out of the storage so let's say uh we we, again we harvest it in september we pull that onion out in may just to make this as the longest duration of time as possible we'll run it to the packing shed it'll ship that day and then Four days to the distribution center and another two days to the store. So once it leaves the packing shed, it should be in the consumer's hands within seven days, roughly.
2: And does that change depending on the commodity? Does it change depending on if it's a watermelon or oh, an yeah. onion? But really, the only thing that
1: changes, the, the the most significant thing that changes is the way that it's harvested and the way that it's packed and that duration of time. So for example, asparagus is only going to be like seventy-two hours old by the time you get it. Maybe, maybe, okay, so maybe it's it's it, maybe it's a week old tops by the time you're, you've got it at the grocery yep. store. Because we're going to harvest it, bring it in, pack it, and ship it all within about three days, and then it just depends on the distribution process there. Watermelon, similar. We're picking those uh, watermelon, bringing them directly to the packing shed, and then straight out the door to the distribution center. So the only difference between that and onions is just the fact that we can store onions for a decent amount of time and pull them out as we need them.
0: I feel like the uncertainty is one of the toughest parts of being a farmer today. Because, you know, you're trying to plan... You know, we're, we're thinking about the crop that we're going to plant next year, but we're also thinking about generations coming into the business or, depending on your financials, how you're going to maintain where you are, let alone try to grow that. Um, what is your biggest challenge when you look forward for your own operation to make it viable for the next generation?
1: Politics. I mean, I, I can dive into that, but I mean, really, it's politics. I think yeah. politics or regulation—it's one of the two—and and regulation is a result of politics. But exactly. that's that is the—we we can figure out how to get this stuff done, but not if not if it really doesn't even make sense anymore. And I—I I don't know if you guys ever read Atlas Shrugged. Yes, I feel—I don't know what chapter we're in in Atlas Shrugged, but I feel like I mean, this is that's the world we're living in, and where the the disconnect continues. Or, or the gap between reality and what the world is actually like, yes, is getting just broader and broader. And so it just gets, I don't know how, how hard, I mean, I'm only, I'm only 42, but I, sometimes I feel so freaking exhausted. I'm just, yeah. I'm like, this is not worth it. Like you, you get the payroll audit and then you get the OSHA audit and then you do 13 food safety audits. And then you have some troll on the internet tell you that you're a slave driver because you're employing workers from Mexico and you're putting them in free housing and you just, you're like, this may not be worth it. And I hope when I say this, that the people that are listening to you, that those that aren't farmers understand this, this is, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel, but like I could, I could either scream or cry sitting here right now because that's how true it is. It is overwhelming. It's already risky. We're already in a super, super volatile business. We already work on super thin margins. We always, we all have to borrow a ton of money, mm-hmm. and at the same time, you want to make our job harder and harder and harder. And then on top of that, you want to tell us that we suck and that we're ruining the environment and that we don't care about our workers and that we don't care about anything. Yeah, it's it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming, and I just want to be like, forget Definitely. it. You guys figure out how
0: to feed yourselves. I know how to feed myself. Right. I know right. how to
1: live. You guys figure it out.
0: I think that that conversation and that thought is going on. Um, across you know across i not only agriculture so many industries um i think agriculture it's more acute just because of the the amount it's so capital intensive and um it intertwines so many government agencies depending on what what you do but um there's and it goes back to that disconnect with the consumer because we are so removed from agriculture as a society that people we're we're blessed as a society in this country in the fact that um, you were able to go to a job and make enough money at that job to feed your family and to you know, pay your house payment and do everything that you have to do. There's always food in the grush- and grocery store for you to buy. Groceries. But you don't have to worry a whole lot. You know, people have the luxury of working for an employer and there isn't there isn't near the, the career employment as there used to be. In other words, the idea, um, you know, my parents' generation, there was a heck of a lot of people that you got a job working for whatever. You were, you know... You worked at the concrete plant. You worked at the car plant. You worked here. You worked there, and that's where you worked, and your whole life. Your whole life, and that that's not the case today. Um, so there's not near as much of an investment on the individuals' side as far as I th- I feel like a lot of people go home and they don't give a second thought as to whether or not that business is going to be in business tomorrow. That's a great observation because I've never even thought about that fact that like people just roll from
1: job to job to job or industry to industry to industry or whatever and they don't have, yeah, they're not invested in it right. at all. They don't.
2: They just got if, their blinders yeah, if, on.
1: If you worked for Ford your whole life and Ford goes bankrupt, yeah. you're not going to get your pension, right? right? So you actually like, you're, you're going to vote in in a way that, that supports that industry or whatever else. That's 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 pretty profound
0: actually. And so when you go back to our industry, I just feel like it's so hard. I think that goes back to when you said you started and you're three inches off the ground, you have to go to 30,000 feet because it's, I feel like it's foreign to people, the emotional investment that we have as farmers, because it's, this isn't a job where, so my home is where my farm is. It's not my livelihood. It's every, you know, it's my identity. It's every day. My identity is, this mm-hmm. and um, it's not as simple as saying, okay, well, this isn't working anymore. I'm Time to pack do up. Else. Yep. Um, because yes, if it gets bad enough, that's what we'll have to do. But um, you, you're so invested that it's just a, it's just a tough, tough. It's a tough spot, and I don't know whether there's enough people you know as you look forward i don't know if there's enough people out there that are going to be willing to carry that torch as this regulation gets harder and harder um well and that's another reason why this is so important because
2: if you i, I love the idea of advocating because it also teaches consumers you know how we do things and that's good but it also sparks interest in young kids to maybe want to get in get in agriculture yeah. you know one video might spark a kid's interest to be like man i i want to explore that because You know, back when you were a kid, everybody and their dog was an FFA and, you know, that was, that was just the thing. But now it's, it's really not that way anymore. And the way that, the way that culture works is what's popular on social media kind of sets the culture and what young kids do with their lives and what they want to do. And I feel like this kind of stuff is really important in that aspect to not only teach people, but also recruit people to come work in ag. The hardest thing
1: though is, that, I mean, as part of that, how do you, I can't even imagine, not that it doesn't happen and, and maybe the swine industry is a little different. There is no way is, it a, a, is a slight exaggeration, but it'd be almost impossible if I had wanted to start doing what I'm doing on my own because there'd be no way to scale it. No, no way. So that's the piece that I think the the layman doesn't understand or someone outside the industry doesn't understand. You you get frustrated sometimes that these are multi-generational businesses, but it's really the only way that it works because you're talking about so much to invest and so little return that that's the only way that it operates. It's it's like the same argument when people you know you 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 had to have heard the the subsidy argument. Okay, well, who? it's not us who sees... I mean, do, do the farmers see some of the advantages from the subsidy? Yes, but we, we still just try and out-compete each other and put each other out of business. And yeah. so we really don't capitalize on that investment. All we do is do it more cheaply and then pass that yeah. savings onto the consumer ultimately. Like the, yeah. the consumer, as much as that subsidy is there, I, I it'd be really interesting. I've never seen a study on it, but I'm sure that the consumer benefits probably more so than the the farmers, the farmers yeah. do mm-hmm. because of the
0: our competition because Artificially. of the competition
1: we we all have to compete mm-hmm. and so it's not like i mean i'd love the idea of saying hey we're all going to get together and it's going to be 12 dollar corn right, right. Yep. <laughs> but we don't do that and, and and people would freak out if we did do that but it's okay if you you know if somebody's building a widget and you've got an iphone it's okay if they make 1000% yep nobody Nobody has a problem with that, but when I don't know if you guys run into that too, but it's like it's always well you you shouldn't be making that kind of profit. Yep. Farmers shouldn't make money. Smart sh- sh- farmers shouldn't make money. Yeah, I've seen that argument. Okay. But you do, you see that. And I, and I don't know a part of it is I think it's generational. So they think it's just generational wealth. You didn't really you don't really earn it. or You didn't really deserve it. You just inherited it. Yep. So therefore I think that's
2: the biggest one. Is that the biggest one? I I see that a lot. Yeah, People are so Critical of about inheritance. If you inherited anything, you have been everything in your life's been given.
0: It's privilege.
2: Yeah, that's that's huge in culture nowadays. Unfortunately,
0: I I tell people uh, all the time that if you woke up tomorrow and you had won the largest lottery that known to man, and you said, "I think I want to be in the top ten pork producers in the United States," and money was no object, mm-hmm. you would give up long before the money ran out. Like you, you would, you would just, you would probably just break down and cry. Because yeah, you'd just be
1: like, what's the point?
0: Yeah, yeah. The same, the same conversation that we're having right now. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think people realize that it's all of our businesses. You truly have to, you truly have to live it. Uh, uh, to have that desire in you because otherwise it's just not worth it. Yeah. You got to have the passion.
2: And I think the legacy really helps. And that it, it takes a special person to want to farm. Yeah. You know, I think it's almost your bread. Like I wouldn't have the desire to be a farmer unless I saw my grandpa and you work as much as you guys worked and operated mm-hmm. on thin marches and did all these things. It breeds you to be that kind of person and wanting to do it. So I don't know. I, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer by any means. I, yeah. I think there's a lot of good things. I think, you know, farming is amazing for the world. And I think a lot of people appreciate farmers, but you just guys, we're trying to show you guys our perspective on what we live day to day. And in Shay's case, he's living the same thing that we're living over here on the livestock side. You know, it's kind of a labor regulation, immigration, all these things are problems, not only in just one industry in agriculture, but the entire industry. And we have to solve these issues for us to be able to continue on. Unless you want Bill Gates to own everything or, well, you know, Elitist to own everything and be consolidated and have no family aspect. I don't want that in my food system,
0: and I hope you guys don't either. Well, so, at, the e- at the end of the day, it really is, it's it's national security. If you really want to back out, I mean, food is a national security Um, do we want our food raised here or do we want to rely on, on a supply chain to get it here from wherever? And do we want our, do you want your choices to be fewer or do you want your choices to be more? Because consolidation is the natural progression as things get tougher, scale helps, uh, helps that. But then as you scale, you make decisions as to, okay, am I gonna grow am I gonna grow eight things that five of them are marginally profitable, or am I gonna concentrate on three things that I can manage and that are the most profitable? Well, if I'm a if I'm a large if I'm a large integrated company, I'm probably gonna focus on those three. And then as a result, the next thing you know, you have less choice as a consumer. And that's that's not what anybody wants. So it's a tough deal and, and it's something that we need to solve, but it's, it's not going to get solved easy and it may not get solved in my lifetime, um, but it's something worth fighting for, so we'll all keep at it. Yeah, and I, th- I think
2: that, you know, we all, we're like, what's the solution? What's the solution? Well, the solution is when the government regulates the shit out of us and then all these family farms go out of business and there's famine. <laughs> it really is. Like, it's, I, I think like it's got to hit the fan. Then, it really does. Yeah. And that's the scary part. Yeah. yeah. Then everybody's going to wake up and go, what happened? Yeah. And how do we get our food system Just back? Just whether they wake up in time or not. Yeah. So let's, yeah, we're going to try to get people to wake up a little earlier than that, hopefully. But, and this isn't, woe is me. Like we're not
1: sitting here telling you that this is like, we hate the industry or obviously we love the industry yeah. or that, that I'll oh, feel bad for us. What we're saying is let us have a fair fight. Yeah. And that's what we're, we're missing out on is this, we're, we're getting to a point where it's not a fair fight anymore. Which is why the the consolidation could happen. Which is why our food could be coming from somewhere else. Is because,
0: yeah, we're we're getting beat up. When the deck when the deck gets stacked against you, it's at some point you just get tired of trying to fight the fight. What do you do for fun? Uh, well, I I, I combine playing
1: fun when I'm flying the airplane. I've always I always loved that. In fact, that came from my grandfather. He was he flew a Cessna 210 and would just tell okay. me stories about flying all over. And his adventures, they, they, they'd go for a week or like they get the group together and they'd fly to Mexico for like a week, you know, kind of like adventures that I wouldn't even consider today. Uh, so he gave me that bug. Uh, I, I, I like to ski when there's snow, at least. And uh, I hate fishing, but my kids love it. So I spend a fair amount of time, you know, on the river with the kids fishing.
0: So what do
2: you fly?
1: Uh, I, have a, I have a Cirrus sr 22 Okay. Uh, it's a low wing. People will know what it is, the one with the parachute. So Oh, nice. Uh, typically that's that's what I do. And, and I would have, the weather was nasty here. You guys had a lot of thunderstorms. Otherwise I would have flown out here. It's about as far as I go, about a thousand miles from home. It's kind of my, my the the maximum distance that I'll fly. But it's a really, for me it's nice because I can, I'm really mission driven in anything that I do anyway and aviation's really cool that way. Like, you know, I got to get here for this and mm-hmm. you've got the challenges of air traffic and weather and everything else. So it's, it's a consistently, constantly challenging thing. And it's just cool. It's just cool to get up there and kind of, uh, set your own agenda to some extent.
2: Uh, what's your, what's your dream location to fly to? you said you only fly a thousand mile, but if you could fly anywhere in the world, where would you want to fly
1: to? There's a jungle, there's a jungle strip that I have. There's a picture actually, uh, under the glass on my desk of a jungle strip that my grandfather flew into in the seventies. fact I have a picture with him standing on the runway when we went back there like 20 years later. Uh, that's kind of on my list i'd like to i'd like to do that one trip and it's not a scary and at least from a from a spatial orientation standpoint from a you know the, the gps and all the components that are on the airplane it's easy to do it it's more like the cartels and stuff like that that's scary yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah would you recreate the picture would you try to take a picture? The oh, absolutely! Same way?
1: Yeah. The, not, not only the picture, but I, hopefully, though that you know, there's not guys standing there with guns or something when yeah. I land, trying <laughs> yeah. to confiscate the airplane for a drug run or something like that.
2: So, did your grandpa teach you how to fly? Like, how did you learn? Unfortunately, they had
1: so in the in the uh, it was the late 80s. Um, they had to sell the airplane. The bank called the loan, uh, and they had to sell. They liquidated everything they had. So he, he, I flew the I flew in the airplane. But that was one of those things that they had to they had to get rid of get rid that of. and some rental property a bunch of stuff they had to they had to sell to to pay off their line when the bank called the note and
2: barked was, your interest and they just took it yep. away. <laughs> so you've been just hunting for it ever since, and yep. now you finally got it. My
0: awesome. my dad, uh, my dad said that um, you know he flew, you know war situation, but he said that uh, some of the just the. He said it was almost therapeutic. He said uh the time that he spent coming back from a mission were some of the the clearest thinking that he'd ever done, he said. He he and I think he, you know, he never flew he flew commercial just one or two times uh in the years after he got got out, but um I think that the time that he spent in the cockpit of a P51 probably some of the the probably some of his best memories i think the way he talked about it that's he, some
1: rare air he was breathing doing that too yeah,
0: in yeah a lot and 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 a lot of ways so he the he was stationed Licina, italy and they had a they had a 51 that they stripped all the armor out of and they put a jump seat in it and they would fly like down to naples if uh, if some You know, if some Army dignitary or somebody came and they were coming, doing a tour, they would go pick them up. And he said that every time that that happened, that somebody needed to go pick somebody up from Naples, it was practically a fist fight because that thing had it it had zip because they'd taken the guns out of it and all the armor out of it so he said it would you felt like it was really it and it would maneuver so much better that they just loved it
2: we got two more questions and we'll wrap it up but most satisfying crop to grow out of everything that you grow what's the most satisfying recently i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna give watermelon that actually
1: uh we've grown so many crops that are hard to sell you know, people think, okay, that's another thing they don't understand. Like, oh, well, if you grow the crop, you can sell it. Now, I mean, it's different when it's a commodity. When you're talking about produce, there's no mar. There's you, you don't have a contract, you don't have a customer, you don't have anything that's guaranteed. And um, we tried sweet potatoes, and they were so hard to sell. You know, you just we would just we'd harvest them, put them away in storage, and then just trickle them out the door. And the watermelons just come in and go out, and come in and go out, and come in and go out. And we've been fairly successful growing a good crop, some a product that people like. And that, that's been fun. That's been fun because you just, you sell loads and loads and loads.
2: Uh, I guess I have an, I guess I have two more questions after this one. (laughs) I just thought about it and it it was kind of going back to what we were talking about. You know, we're not trying to be Debbie Downers and everything like that, but farmers got to find this, find that edge. We got to find that edge. Now we're in this, we're in a state now where doing this, this is our edge doing social media. It's our edge. Yes, it's great to promote agriculture in a positive light, and that's our mission. But we're also doing it, you know. Personal gain comes second. Yeah, right. Um, and we're trying to do everything. That's our that's our goal here on our farm is to make it viable for my kids, a seventh generation. Um, and we're in, I'm in other things as well. You know, I'm working on a thing behind the scenes that's going to be coming out here next month that I'm I'm excited about. Um, but also, I do re- real estate. Uh, investment with my brother. Is there anything that you're doing to find that edge that's maybe on farm, off farm that can, that you're, cause you know, we're in this weird state. So is there anything that you're doing to diversify that you're comfortable sharing? I should be doing a lot sharing.
1: more to diversify um, than what, than what I am. Um, I'm always looking for, for, to, to follow the verticals a little bit more. So the, 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 the peeling that we do with the onions, right? So we, we had all this byproduct product that couldn't be used. And so um, you know, that was kind of one of those, uh, I don't know if you want to call it epiphany, epiphany, epiphany. It was I mean, that wasn't like, you know, something that is that diversified, but it is taking something that is unusable otherwise. Right. Essentially we got two cents a pound for it and we get 20 now. Um, but outside of agriculture, um, same thing. We have some rental properties and some stuff like that. I wish I had done all in hindsight, especially cause I'm in the Boise market, right. Watching what's happened there. Yeah. Um, I, it, should have done a lot more, a lot more. But I mean, I think hindsight's always twenty twenty. but yeah. that's what I, I think I'm going to have to be more involved in is just uh, rental properties in general. Uh, you can always do ag land, but I'm already tied to that. So yeah, the diversification for me is in rental properties.
2: Sweet. Uh, okay. Last question. You got anything else you want to no? throw in? Last question. If all your social media disappeared tomorrow and you... God forbid, but you passed away and you this was the only video left on the internet of Shea Myers. What message, what couple things, three things would you want to leave with the consumers, the the people out there? What would you want to leave? What message would you want to leave? The consumers or your audience? How about both? And I know this is a hard question. So take your time. Take your time. I was just thinking, you know.
1: We got kind of deep. I think I think a couple of things. Number one. It's important that anyone doing anything that's contributing at all have confidence in themselves. I'm just getting old enough. I'm 42, right? Like, I, I wish I had believed in myself a lot more a lot sooner because I'd be a lot farther than where I am today. And there's just so many things that tell you, no, you can't do this or no, that won't work or no, this or no, that. And a lot of the time, I feel like your intuition combined with your work ethic and just your willingness to do things will make a lot of things happen. I mean, you guys are on social media, so you know this. 90% of the battle is making the content. It's not what's in the content. It's not even what you say in the content. It's just doing something. So um, that's something that I want people to know. Confide in yourself. And then the other thing is, um, I hope that I could be a source of honest perspective on what agriculture is. I try really hard, and I and I mean, from the politics of agriculture to the family dynamics of agriculture to you know uh, the the logistics of agriculture, that has really turned into my goal. I just want people to know and understand what we do and why we do it and what it means to them. And if they, if they get those, they understand those things we will all be in a better place because they won't be frustrated that uh, we make a profit. Sometimes they won't be frustrated that we use water. They won't be frustrated that we use fertilizer. They'll know that we're doing what we're doing for the right reason to try and feed them to enter, to, to try and make a living and to try and create an opportunity for the future for my family on our farming operation, but also for them and their kids, so that they can work that city job and have something to eat too.
2: That's well put. Very well put. Well, we really appreciate it, Shay. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for making the drive all the way down here to Iowa. I know you got. I know you're a busy guy. He's got a keynote. Go follow Shay on TikTok, LinkedIn, Instagram. He's even, he's even got a YouTube. Go follow him. He dropped a lot of knowledge on this one. A lot of fire. So we really appreciate all of you listening or watching. Uh, we'll be back here next Friday and make sure to pay the fee, share the show, and we'll see you guys later.